This morning our scripture reading is coming from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. That's Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. Our sermon will be finishing up the book of Jonah. I thought it would be appropriate to see what Jesus Christ himself says about Jonah in Matthew chapter I guess it's Matthew, yeah, Matthew chapter 12 at the very end, starting in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So we prepare to hear from God. Let's pray for his blessing on his word. Lord, we know you've told us that man does not live by bread alone. But every man, including us, lives by every word that comes from you. It comes from your mouth to feed us. Lord, teach us even now as we hear from you how much, how desperately we need your bread. We need your word. We need you to be at work in us. We pray that you would feed us as your sheep. Strengthen us as your people. Do the work that we need in our lives now for this life and the life to come. And we know that you will do this through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that he would be present and active and powerful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our our sermon is coming from Jonah chapter 4. That's Jonah chapter 4. We're at the end of a a short series in the book of Jonah. uh, Finishing up today with Jonah chapter 4. One of the, the reasons I chose this book is not only because it was short and we were looking at a short series for the summer, but more importantly, because of what it was teaching us about God, who God is, especially in salvation, and also who he's calling us to be. And we see that really clearly here at the end in Jonah chapter 4 as we see the compassion of our God. So let's read together book of Jonah chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade 
till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This chapter feels like an odd way to end the entire book of Jonah. And it's odd for a couple of reasons. If you think about what we saw in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah 3 was, was a great chapter because we, we saw God at work showing mercy to Nineveh. You know, he sent Jonah now to go preach faithfully, and Jonah did that, and God chose to save the Ninevites. But as we hit chapter 4, there's a problem, an unexpected problem. The problem isn't with God. He was just to do what he did and merciful. And the problem is not with the Ninevites because they actually repented from their sins. The problem is with Jonah. Jonah does not love the Ninevites. In fact, Jonah hates the Ninevites even as he sees them turning to God in repentance. But Jonah's problem is not just with the Ninevites. It's actually with God. Jonah is angry with God. And in chapter 4, God does almost his greatest work yet in working in Jonah's heart to teach Jonah his own compassion for lost sinners. And the lesson that Jonah learns here in Jonah chapter 4 is the lesson that we need to learn as well. We are being taught to feel the same way about lost sinners alienated from God. We're taught to feel the same way about them that God does. That actually leads us to our main point. Not only does God teach us that, but God gives us his own compassion for lost sinners. God himself gives each and every one of his children his own compassion for lost sinners. Now we'll see this in two points here. We'll see Jonah's problem in verses 1 through 4. And then we'll see God's lesson in verses 5 through 11. Let's look first at Jonah's problem. Verses 1 through 4, it stares at you right in the face from the very beginning. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah is full of anger with God. And he is angry with God because God did not destroy Nineveh. Look back at the end of chapter 3. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, the people of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That is what makes Jonah so angry that God chose to be merciful. 
This is not the reaction that we would expect from God's prophet, or really from any Christian. Jonah has just seen one of the greatest revivals in history. The entire city of Nineveh has acknowledged their sin and repented and turned to God and been forgiven by God. This should be a time for someone like Jonah to rejoice because God has actually shown his power, he's shown his love, and he's shown his mercy to sinners. But Jonah is angry. And Jonah is angry because when God saved Nineveh, God showed that he was exactly who he said he is. That's what makes Jonah angry. Look at Jonah's prayer in verse 2. We see this come out so clearly. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is angry because he knew who God is, and God was exactly like that to the city of Nineveh. This has to be one of the saddest verses in the entire book of Jonah because Jonah knows so much about God, but he doesn't want it to be true. Think about it. He knows that God is gracious and merciful. He knows that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He knows that God relents from disaster. And he knows all those things because God has told him that. Those words, this confession right here in verse 2, is very similar to what God himself says to Moses in the book of Exodus. When God tells Moses who he is, he uses these words in Exodus 34 to describe himself. And Jonah seems fine if God is like this for Jonah. If God is like this for the other Israelites, but not for the Ninevites. You know, after all, God did enter into a special relationship with Israel, the covenant, right? It's that relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. But what Jonah really doesn't like is that God is gracious and merciful to the Ninevites as well. And Jonah says to God that this is the exact reason he tried to run away from God in the first place. If you remember chapter 1, we said he ran away from God's presence and he ran away from God's word. He knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knew that God might choose to be gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. It isn't actually just to the Ninevites. Jonah knows from what God has said in the Old Testament that God will save Gentiles. That's one of the major themes in the Old Testament, that God will save people from the nations. If you think about the Old Testament, you see individuals coming out of the nations. You see Rahab. You see Ruth. You see a man like Naaman coming to faith in God. But it goes even further back. Because remember, that covenant, that covenant that Jonah loved so much, remember the first time that covenant was stated to Abraham, what did God say? He said, I am going to be your God. But more than that, in Genesis 12, he promised that Abraham and his family would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. From the very beginning, that covenant with his people was meant for the nations, You can look at the Psalms and the same thing comes through clearly. Think about how many Psalms command God's people to tell the nations about what God has done. 
And how many more psalms then command the nations to come and to worship God? Psalm 105, Psalm 96, or Psalm 100. So many more you could list. It's not even just in the Psalms, it's in the prophets. Men like Jonah were given messages of salvation to the nations. Isaiah 2, what does Isaiah see? He sees that in a future day, the nations will be coming to worship at Mount Zion. That's true. As you see in Isaiah and elsewhere, some of these promises are pointing forward to after Pentecost, to our time now, when God really has opened the doors and called the nations to come to faith, come to believe. But God was just like this in Jonah's day as well. God loved to save sinners. Sinners even outside the walls of Israel. As Jonah says these words, as Jonah says these words in anger, he knows that God has a right to do that. God has a right to do that to save sinners. And more than just having a right, Jonah knows that God has a heart to do that. God delights to save sinners. But Jonah doesn't want that to be true. Think about what Jonah is doing here. Jonah doesn't want God to be God. That's the bottom line. He doesn't want God to be God. No, Jonah wants God to be more like him, like Jonah, to draw these walls and to say, no, God, you can't be kind to those people. You can only be kind to people like me. What kind of God would that be like? What would God be like if he were like Jonah? Well, he'd be extremely narrow-minded. He'd be lacking in grace and mercy. Notice that Jonah, so far, has not really ever acknowledged what God has already done for him in saving him, for instance, from the, the, the death in the sea. Jonah himself does not show the grace that he wants God to show himself. And Jonah's whole attitude here, where he wants God to be more like him, and not actually God to be God, this sinful attitude gives us at least two warnings. And we need to take these warnings to heart this morning. First, right theology does not equal a right heart. Jonah had great theology. Jonah could have taught a master's level class in the character and attributes of God. He understood God's sovereignty. He actually also understood God's love for the nations. But what Jonah knew in his head was not changing his heart. Right theology does not equal a right heart. But second, we see another warning that service to God also doesn't equal being changed by God's grace. We see that in the life of Jonah. Jonah had been used mightily by God, but Jonah's response here shows that God's grace hadn't reached into the depths of Jonah's heart and Jonah's life. Jonah still had an incredibly hard heart. Just because you serve in the church, just because you are used by God, does not mean that you have fully experienced God's grace in all areas of your life. Jonah's hard heart really stands out here. It's so unchanged, in fact, that he wants to die instead of continuing to live and seeing God's grace and mercy to the Ninevites. Think about that. He would rather die than to see God keep being kind and merciful to others. It says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life away from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
See these words, Jonah leaves the final decision up to God. But you can see here how hard Jonah's heart truly is. Let me give you a modern day illustration, maybe just to drive this home, to give you a sense of Jonah's problem here. Think about a closed country. North Korea is a great example. Very closed to the gospel. What if God opened the hearts of the people of North Korea to the gospel? And when you heard about that, when you saw it on the news, your response was a desire to die rather than to see God be compassionate to persecutors of the church. What if that was your reaction to the news? That's what Jonah's doing here. Now, I hope none of us would go that far, but God's work of grace and mercy often exposes our own sinful hearts in very uncomfortable ways, just like Jonah Think about what God does for Jonah, though. God shows incredible grace to Jonah here in dealing with his sin. After all that Jonah has felt and all that Jonah has said, God asks Jonah just one simple question. Do you be well? Do you do well to be angry? It's a simple question, but it goes deep into Jonah's heart because God is asking, Jonah, do you really do well to be angry with me as a creature? As someone I have made, I made you, Jonah, and you depend on me. Why are you angry with me? Jonah, do you also do well to be angry with me as a Christian? Because I saved you, Jonah. Do you remember that? I showed you the compassion that you will not show others. Do you do do well to be angry like that? And also, Jonah, do you remember that you are my servant? Do Do you do well to be angry with me? as someone who I have called to obey me? Or will you trust that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts? And will you actually trust that and rejoice that this is true? That is what God means with this simple but probing question. And the grace of God is here because God asked that question and even though Jonah doesn't respond, God is not done with him. God does not wash his hands of Jonah. No, God is going to teach Jonah about his own compassion for lost sinners. That's really where we see, secondly, is God's lesson in verses 5 through 11. For all that God has actually done for Jonah so far, Jonah just continues in his anger and sin. That shows the importance of God's lesson. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city And he sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. It looks like Jonah is willing to go sit outside Nineveh until every single one of those 40 days are done to see if God maybe, maybe possibly would actually judge Nineveh. That's what Jonah wants. Jonah is still sinfully holding on to hope that God would change And be just like Jonah himself to bring down fire from heaven and wipe Nineveh off the face of the map. But God doesn't let him just sit there and wait. God steps in to slowly but surely expose Jonah's heart and to bring Jonah to a point where he clearly sees himself and he clearly sees God and the compassion of God for sinners. If you look in these verses here, in verses 6 to 8, you'll notice that the author goes out of his way to emphasize God's work. Three times he says, God appointed. 
I'm going to read those verses, and I want you to listen for those three things that God appointed. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, that's first, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. The author is going out of his way to show us that God is completely in control, but he's also graciously in control. If you remember back to the end of chapter 1, God appointed something else too. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah in order to save him. It's a similar point here. God is not playing games with Jonah. He's not just making Jonah suffer in the hot sun for no reason. No. All of God's actions here are for Jonah's good. He's appointing all of these things to bring Jonah to repentance. Remember, what God is doing is he's bringing Jonah to that point of understanding and responding to God's compassion for lost sinners like the Ninevites. And if I can just say this, God didn't stop doing this with Jonah. Sometimes you and I are just as stubborn. And it can be a painful experience when God is at work in our lives. But it's true. We sometimes need to learn some very hard lessons. And God does it in a very similar way. Appointing difficult circumstances in our life to bring us to the end of ourselves till we're finally ready to listen to God. Now that happens very quickly in the life of Jonah in the space of a day. Because by the time we reach verse 8, Jonah's reached the breaking point. He says, he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. This is his second death wish. He's asking to, for God to end his life. But God responds in grace using almost that exact same question he did before. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And now Jonah responds to God's question. And now when he speaks, we see the real heart of Jonah. What he says actually condemns himself because Jonah says he does do well to be angry with God about the plan. He says he's got a right to do it. He's actually doing the right thing, the best thing to be angry with God like this for a plant. You can start to see the irony that God's going to draw out here because listen to God's patient gracious and convicting response to Jonah. He says, The Lord said, You pity that plant, that plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. See, God sets up a comparison between Jonah's care for the plant and God's care for Nineveh, which is more important. Every one of us knows that. What's more important, a plant or a person? Even just one person is more valuable than a plant. And a city full of people is infinitely more valuable. And that's God's point. Because Jonah cared about a plant. A plant that he didn't put in the ground. A plant that he never took care of. And a plant that was just temporary. It was only alive for a day. And then it died. Jonah cared more about that one plant than he did for all of Nineveh. Let let me put that into perspective for a minute. God says that Nineveh had more than 120,000 people. The population of Hampton, Virginia, is about 140,000 people. It's like God came to you and said, you care for that one weed 
in the back of your yard more than you care for the entire city of Hampton. And not just caring for like some sort of general good of the city of Hampton. No, for the salvation of that many people. And God's words to Jonah are exposing his heart because God shows Jonah, he doesn't even really care about the plant. Jonah cares about himself. He cared more for having a little shade for himself for a day than he cared for 120,000 people going to hell. That is Jonah's problem. Jonah didn't care, but God did. God cared. God had compassion On the sinners of Nineveh, look how he describes them. Listen to his words. He says, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Jonah would have called them sinners, Gentiles, all these things. God calls them spiritually blind. It's true. We know it. God, God has shown us who he is. Every single person knows God and knows his commandments. And we're guilty of our sin, right? So the Ninevites are responsible for their sin, just like every person today. But notice how God talks about these sinners. He speaks about them with compassion. They are spiritually blind. They need Him in order for them to turn to Him. God is a God of justice, yes. But we see so clearly here He is a God of grace and compassion. God's compassion for lost sinners was shown in His work in Nineveh. And we see his saving compassion for lost sinners even more clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God saves sinners. And I can't say this clearly enough. God delights to save sinners in Jesus Christ. God delighted to save the Ninevites. And God delights to save you and me in Jesus You know, we heard that good news in Romans 8 earlier in the service, but God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to live and die for the Ninevites and for you and for me because he loved us. There is nothing lovable about us, though. You know, in Romans 5, it says we're sinners. And a little later, Paul says we're enemies. We were enemies of God. God did not choose us because we were so great or so loving or so obedient. No, he saved us because we were sinners who desperately needed his love and compassion but did not deserve it because of our sin. His plan, his glorious plan in the gospel is to take his enemies, Ninevites, you, me, everyone who he has called to take those enemies and to turn them into his children. This is the heart of God for lost sinners that he has called to himself. Listen to Jesus' own words as he offers salvation to sinners. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says this is who he is as God, one who sees the people he has made being crushed by their sins. And in that group, he sees the people that from eternity past he has chosen, and he offers forgiveness 
because he is gentle and lowly in heart. This is the good news of the gospel, that God in Jesus Christ offers salvation to every sinner who will turn, trust in Jesus Christ, and be saved. But the good news goes even deeper than that, because God in Jesus Christ opens our eyes. We're spiritually blind too. He opens our eyes to see our sin, to see his salvation. And he changes our hearts. He gives us new hearts to be willing and able to put our faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. And God even gives us the faith that he requires. Salvation from beginning to end is the work of our compassionate God. Jonah did not share God's compassion for the lost. And part of Jonah's problem is that he didn't know how much compassion he needed and how much compassion he had already received. It's true that Jonah was a prophet. He was one of God's chosen servants who lived among God's chosen people. Israel had so many blessings and privileges. But Jonah's most basic identity was a sinner saved by God's grace. And Jonah did not understand that. Maybe I can say it this way. Jonah did not fully understand that at the most basic level, he and the Ninevites were exactly the same. Sinners whose only hope of salvation was in Jesus Christ. The more that you and I understand that, the more that we understand just how much we need God's compassion in Jesus Christ, and not just how much we need, but how much God has given us, the more we understand that, the more we will show that same compassion to others. And we see also in the life of Jonah that we continue to need that compassion. We need God's mercy and our grace, mercy and grace in our lives now in order to continue to show God's love to others. Think again about how gracious God is to Jonah throughout the entire book, but especially in those words we've just read from chapter 4. Jonah here at the end of the book is sinning against God's grace in just dramatic, remarkable ways. He's sinning against God's grace, which God showed to him in saving him from death. And he's sinning against God's grace, which God showed to the Ninevites in saving them from destruction. And we don't see any repentance from Jonah. Nothing is recorded up to this point. But God doesn't give up on Jonah. God continues to be gracious and merciful to him. That's a lesson for us. We continue to need God's compassionate work in our lives so that we can love others as he does. But that's who God is. God is that compassionate God. Do you remember Jonah's problem from the beginning of this passage? He didn't want God to be God. But if Jonah got his way and God wasn't quite so loving or quite so merciful or quite so compassionate, it wouldn't just be the Ninevites who would be going to hell. It would be Jonah, and it would be you and me because of our sins. We need and have a compassionate God who loves to save sinners just like you and me. You'll notice that the book of Jonah ends with a question. It ends with God's question, and should not I pity Nineveh? God wants you to answer that question for yourself this morning. And don't just give the right answer. We saw Jonah give right answers and yet still be very far away from him. Shouldn't God have compassion on sinners like you? 
Because that is exactly the kind of God that he is. Shouldn't that be true? But do you believe it? Do you believe it with your heart? Does God's compassion for sinners in Jesus Christ make your heart rejoice? Does God's compassion for sinners make you glad that God saved you? Does God's compassion for sinners make you love your neighbor or your friend or your coworker or your family member who is lost in their sin? They do not know their right hands from their left. Does God's compassion for them make you pray for them? And make you want to share the gospel with them. Make you want to share the good news, the one thing in the world that they desperately need. Even as I say that, take encouragement from this though. God is a compassionate God who makes us to be like himself as he makes us like Jesus. God is making every believer, every person here who believes in Jesus Christ, he is making us like his own son who died on the cross for our sins. Do you see that kind of compassion? God is making you like that. It's true, every one of us needs to grow in our compassion for sinners. We see that as we look at our own lives, as we reflect on how much God has done for us. But the promise of God here is that in Christ we will grow because He's making us like Himself. He is shaping our character and shaping our hearts to be like Him. My encouragement this morning is to make this our prayer for yourself and for our church, that we would become more and more individuals in a church that loves lost sinners and wants to share the compassion of God in Jesus Christ in the gospel with them. And God's promise is if that is our prayer, He will answer. He will make us more and more, day by day, week by week, like himself, and give us those opportunities to show compassion to the lost. Let's pray together now as we close. Lord, we thank you for how much you have done for us. If we look at our own lives and we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't take long for us to, to see just how gracious and compassionate and merciful you were to save us, to bring us to faith and how gracious and merciful and compassionate you are right now, to keep us going, to persevere, to bring us into heaven. Lord, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God who loves to save sinners. And Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunities to show the compassion that you've showed to us, to others. In acts of mercy, yes, but also in sharing the good news of the gospel and inviting people to church in, in showing people how great Jesus Christ is in the offer of salvation. Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful and that you would continue your work as you build your kingdom in us and through us. We thank you that your victory is certain, that your people are already counted and known by you, and we pray that you would continue and finish your work In Jesus' name, amen.